Good to have you here this morning. Welcome on this uh, snowy February day. As the worship team gets, uh, gets ready to escape the stage. <clears throat> yeah, we're starting a new sermon series called He Said, She Said. And I want to begin this morning by uh, acknowledging a number of things. Um, you realize we live in a, in a post-truth culture, right? Um, that's, the, that's the Oxford Dictionary word or phrase of the year is this post-truth culture. And, and in a post-truth culture, they define it that uh, we do not make decisions anymore based on objective truth. Um, that, that public opinion is shaped by our emotions and our personal belief. And that's pretty significant. That is really significant to think that that's where we have gone. Now, um, you know, uh, here's, here's the other thing I want to make absolutely I, I avoid as much as possible politics from the pulpit. Can I just say that this morning? Amen. Can we, can we say, you know, I, yeah, I really want to avoid politics from the pulpit. So this is not going to be a, a, a politics kind of thing, you know. And just to be clear, just to be clear, when it comes to my politics, I think we're in a mess no matter where we are. Okay? Can I, can I just put that out there? We just, I'm, I'm not pointing to other countries. We're in a mess no matter what. Okay, that's my, because, you know, here's the thing. I, I live through a theological grid, okay? As a pastor, as a theologian, I live my worldview through a theological grid. So I think whether it's Europe, where, you know, wherever it is, we're in a big mess. Can I just say that? We're in a big, big mess. Okay, so, you know, a year, you know, many of you know that I go away for a year and plan, plan the sermon calendar a year in advance. So I plan this series a year in advance, so to be at this kind of juncture in history and talk about the divide us, the things that divide us, um, uh, how many of us would have ever thought that our culture and, and the world was all about what's dividing us right now? It's, it's unbelievable how much um, history has not it's not changed at all. That we continue to see the things that divide us as human beings. And, and that's, been, that's been part of the difficulty throughout history, right? Is, is what is it that divides us? You know, uh, men versus women. Uh, you know, uh, jobs versus, uh, you know, academia, right? Um, uh, you, you know, uh, parents versus kids. You, you, you name it. The things that divide us are just legion. And one of the things, and, and one of the things I have to tell you that I appreciate about the church is that the church is supposed to be, supposed to be the place where things are different. Can we, can we talk about things being different in the church? This is the thing that I, I mentioned during communion, that Jesus came and he brought a kingdom. And this kingdom is so dramatically different and so dramatically important and so dramatically uh, contrastive to the culture and the world that many people were living with and living in. Jesus came to bring this revolutionary message. And when he talked about, you know, when we talk about the love of God, we talk about this, this overarching, you know, uh, characteristic of God that, that is part of every human being that breathes on this planet. That, that there is something that of value for every single person 
that, that walks this earth. And it's not like we put people in categories. You know, the religious people, even during Jesus' time, said that just because of what you do, you are not deserving of God's love. And in many ways, we think that way too. That we, we, we think certain people are not deserving of God's love because of what they do. And we don't think people can change. That's another thing that we have in our culture. And one other thing that we have, because we say history is prologue, right? We say, you know, um, this is their pattern and all this kind of stuff. But do we really believe that if God got a hold of someone's heart, if, do we really believe that, that if the spirit of God, you know, you know burned inside someone's, someone's life, that they could actually be transformed? That they actually could be different people. Can they actually become not what their past says that they were? Okay? I know we struggle in that, that area. But we believe that. And we've got probably lots of members where we say, you know, it's been like that for years. 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Will they ever change? Okay? There are a lot of things that divide us. There are a lot of things. And, 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 and here's the thing. You may have some warrant as to why you would believe that. But at the same time, at the same time, if you believe it long enough, it becomes entrenched in the way you think. And what Jesus brought to the kingdom of God is something very, very different. Something very different that we need to address this morning. Now, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> um, over the history of humanity, there has been this battle between men and women. Okay? And do you know as far back as the uh, philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, they had a prayer. They had a prayer, thank you for making me a, not, not a barbarian. Thank you for making me a Greek. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a woman. <laughs> Love those Greeks. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They say it goes that, back that far. But did you know, did you know that the Jewish rabbis also had a similar prayer? They said, thank you for not making me a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a woman. Yeah, thank you. Now... That's incredibly, in our culture, in the world that we live in, that's incredibly demeaning, isn't it? To actually have prayers that, that talk like that. And, and here's, here's the rub. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can have that attitude ourselves. Um, and I'm not saying those things specifically, but we can look at other people and say, thank you for not making me like them. Or thank you that I don't have their struggles. Or thank you that I don't have to live in that way. Or thank you, you know, whatever. You, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we're, we're insulted by that prayer. We're insulted by, you know, what it implies. We're, we're insulted by the divisions and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but the point I want to try and make this, this morning is if we're not careful, we have our own prejudices and our own things that, de- de- that drive us to segregate ourselves from other people that make us uncomfortable. And if we're not careful, we're not 
demonstrating what Jesus brought as the kingdom of God on this planet. Now, last week we looked at, I think, the most powerful passage concerning love in the Bible. That categorized the love of our Heavenly Father. And today I want to look at a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote. That I think is the passage that the, the church has to embrace when it talks about equality, when it talks about unity. You remember that just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for something. And I've always been struck by this prayer. You know, if it's the last thing you want to leave with your disciples, if it's the last thing you want to impress upon the people who are going to continue your message and continue, uh, you, you know, the direction of what you want to bring to the world... You know, it's significant. What is the last thing that you leave with them? And what the last thing was that Jesus left with his disciples is this whole concept of unity. That this concept of unity would speak to the world and demonstrate that Jesus was authentically who he said he was. And I found, you know, and I found that interesting because how many of us want to say, how many of us want to say, listen, it's the resurrection that's going to do it. Okay, the resurrection is an important part of our faith. Jesus didn't even talk about the resurrection in that same way. He said how people are going to know, are going to know that I am who I really said I was. I, I, you know, you expected Jesus to say is because I was raised from the dead. That is, that is in fact true. That's part of the early church's message for sure. But what brought, what Jesus you know, said to his disciples is this thing called unity is going to be so vitally important that it's going to demonstrate to the world who I really am. So imagine that one-two punch of the resurrection and the unity among believers. And, and, and the early church certainly demonstrated this unity among believers, the strength among believers, this message of the resurrection so that it's spoken to the lives of very many people. So let's look at this passage. Um, as, as, and, and by the way, this series is only lasting a few weeks. And uh, we're going to get into some other passages and talk about giftings and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully put th- some things uh, to rest as it pertains to the church. But look at what Paul writes in the book of Galatians in chapters 3. Uh, verses 26 to 29. He says, for all, for you are all children of God through faith in, in Jesus Christ. And notice that he says, for you all are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Do you know there used to be a tradition in the church that you actually got a new toga when you were baptized? You literally had to change clothes and were given something new to wear. Okay? That's how, that's how seriously the early church took this particular passage. And many other um, traditions did that as well. There is no longer, this is the passage that really is striking to me. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Male and female. Now, what is the Apostle Paul actually speaking against, right? All those prayers that for centuries, that even the Jewish people, and him as a good Pharisee, he heard that prayer. God, thank you for not making me a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a woman. 
The Apostle Paul, absolutely speaking, you know, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, speaks about something that's pretty dramatic and pretty dynamic. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you, for you, for us in this room are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And notice where Paul pulls this. Paul pulls this all the way back from Genesis to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, God took Abraham, took him right out of Ur of the Chaldees and, and, and brought him into the promised land and said, Guess what? I am going to make you a blessing to the entire world. That you are going to be the father of many believers. That, you know, the, the faith of Abraham is going to be demonstrated throughout the centuries. And, and everyone becomes an heir of this incredible promise. That we are all children of God. Paul reminds us, Paul reminds us that whatever categories, whatever we do to segregate people, whatever we do to separate people, just doesn't exist in the kingdom of God, period. That we are all one together in Christ. And any, any continued attempts to categorize people and to separate them and segregate them isn't, isn't, isn't a godly thing to be doing. You know, it even, it even, mentions, it even mentions that everyone is heir to God's promise here's 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 the point i want i want to make with this one one of the things that we have to remember and the point is this um what describes you should not necessarily define you that your life as a believer is what should define you um you know you can say how many of us believe that what we do for a living defines us how many how many of us believe that you know where i teach where i work where you know that is what defines me or who i'm married to is what defines me but paul says that none of that is true right that you are heirs that you are children of god through your faith in jesus christ that is what defines you let's okay let's let's say you're a billionaire can we can we Tim Keller gave this illustration. I thought it was a really powerful illustration. Tim Keller, okay, use this illustration. Pretend you're a billionaire, all right? And you've only got three $10 bills in your pocket. And you get in a cab and you go for a ride. And the ride's only worth $8, okay? So you give one of the $10 bills over to the cabbie and you go away. Later on in the day, you realize you only have one $10 bill yet left, out of the three that you had earlier on in the day. So either you did one of two things. You dropped the $10 bill or you gave the cabbie two $10 bills. Okay, you're a billionaire. What, what, what do you think you would do if you're a billionaire? You would run after the cabbie? You're sick. You're a billionaire. Call the cab company? Go buy the cab. Oh, okay, that's better. Go buy the cab. Right? How many? Would you really, would you really care? 
You shouldn't. Would you really care? No. Okay? You're a believer. Someone's criticized you. Someone has, you know, things didn't go your way. You've had a bad week. Um, let's say, um, you know, number of things happen. Should you care? Like you're spiritual. Spiritually, you're a billionaire. There are many things that happen in your life that as a spiritual billionaire should not grieve you, should not cause you heartache. It's like, it's like losing $10 and all that stuff. But how many of us, you know, um, create all kinds of difficulty and drama in our lives, you know, when in fact we are absolutely billionaires, you know? How many of us would, would shake our fist at God or toss and turn at night? If so, I submit that you, not, you do not know how truly rich you are. You know, I, and, I, and I think this is absolutely a, a, a difficult thing to embrace in your life. Do you really know how spiritually rich you are in your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know what is promised to you as a believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of you, if you're male, regardless if you're female, do you know the inheritance that is yours in Jesus Christ? Okay. Here's the second point I want to make. God made everyone to add value somewhere. He didn't make anyone able to add value everywhere. What, what we mean by that is that we all have roles. We all have, you know, places that, that uh, we contribute and add value. It doesn't mean that, you know, one person is going to be able to add value everywhere. But everyone in this room adds value somewhere to the church. That we're not all gifted the same. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't have the same talents. We don't have the same, you know, but... But that's what makes us a group that is very, very um, important. Um, Let me, let me say this. We're going, we're going to expand on that particular point down the road. Um, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons why I um, wanted to do this series is because there have been in the past um, people wanting to Put pressure on the church to things based on gender equality only. Now, at first, that sounds harmless. Um, and at first, that sounds like, you know, what's wrong with that? 
But it was, it was not biblical. It wasn't something that reflected what the Bible says about giftings and positions and authority and what God sees as um, the way people add value. And that's a very important distinction because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that believe that the church has been one of the most harmful places for gender, gender equality. Okay? And let me, let me just say to you, that is really disconcerting. That is really not biblical in many ways. When I said earlier that Jesus came and he, brought, he instituted a kingdom, instituted a kingdom that was dramatically different than the culture around it, I meant it. It's hard for us to embrace it because we live with certain prejudices. We live with certain ideas of certain people, with certain, uh, you, you know, comfortableness when it comes to segregating people and authority and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus did not use that kind of framework. It was dramatically different. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that everyone has the same equality in terms of responsibilities that we place people in. But it does mean we're very careful. It does mean we're very cautious. It does mean that we recognize the gifting that the Spirit of God has put on every individual and we honor that gifting. Some of you, some of you in this room are incredible prayer warriors and we would never see that in a public way. And yet without you, without you, we would be harmed and hurt. Because that's the way God has wired you. For others, you have incredible leadership gifts that, 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 you know, some capacity, be it life groups, be it, you know, kids connection or whatever, that, that absolutely makes this church what it is. Absolutely makes this church what it is. I want us to, to just be serious about being very careful of what the culture is trying to pull, to pull us towards. You know, I want, to be, I want to be very careful. I want to be more about what we are for as opposed to what we are against. Can we, t- can we talk about that in the next couple of weeks? Can we talk about what it means to be for people as opposed to against people how many people will not darken the door of a church because they're afraid of the category they're going to be put into how many you know how many people are afraid of that really want to love as jesus loved now i know there's a lot of tensions right now in the way that you're thinking that i'm talking about and 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 wholesale acceptance and all that kind of stuff but we have to seriously consider you know, what it is that Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom of God and what, and what doors that allows for people to open. And let me ask you, what is it that holds you captive because of, the, of a prejudice that you hold against someone else? Think about that. Think about that. Let me, let me close with this really quick illustration, okay? I've gone way over time, right? Do you know, let me, 
I just got to get this right. World of classical music. None of you are involved in the world of classical music, so I can can use this illustration. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, Blink, you know, and it's a book about how we have the, the power of thinking without actually thinking. How we respond to things just naturally. Okay? Do you know, I think it's the New York Philharmonic, for years, used to just audition uh, people for, for their orchestra, right? But a number of years ago, they decided to do something really different, okay? They had very few women, by the way, in the orchestra. And then what they started to do was put screens up from the, from the people that were auditioning and the people that were uh, listening to the music, right? And what really struck them is this one particular person that they came with, just when the screens were started to be be put up, and the person played beautifully. And, and um, they, they played in such a way that automatically got the job, okay? And you know where this is going, and you know where this is going, okay? When, when the person walked around from the screen, the whole judge panel was, was shocked because it was a woman, okay? Now, that wasn't the shocking thing. The fact of the matter is she had substituted a number of times over, over, over a number of years. And they were shocked to finally recognize that this person was as good, if not better, than what they already had in the orchestra. And since the time, since the time they put the screens up, since the time they put the screens up, they have increased the number of women on the orchestra five to, you know, by, by the power of five. Just because those screens, right, have, have gotten, have stopped them from seeing who it was and just judged them on their talent and judged them on their ability and judged them on the value that they brought. That's what I'm talking about today. That's what I'm talking about. And we're going to talk some more about gifting and, and, and all, of, uh, all of that in the weeks that, that come ahead. Let us, let us just take a moment and pray and take a moment to um, consider this passage and the power of equality. Father, we come before you this morning. Recognizing a, a, a tension in this passage. And recognizing a, a human frailty that we all have to want to divide people in one way or another. And Lord, in some ways, we understand how it's human nature. But the problem is, Lord, that if we allow that, to linger too long raises our pride and it raises the way that we view other people. And in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom that you established, Lord, you brought the sense of equality. You brought the sense of recognition that some of the biases and the prejudices of the past, be it from Greek philosophy or be it even from the religious leaders of the Jewish people. 
and recognized it as patently wrong. And Lord, as your church, we long to be faithful to your word. We long to be faithful to Jesus. We long to be faithful to the kingdom of God and the expectations that you bring. Lord, this week as we gather in our groups, help us to be discerning. Help us to be honest. Help us to be able to recognize where it is that we have faults. And Lord, in the weeks, couple of weeks that lie ahead, we'll be able to talk about those moments where we do need to be discerning. What do they look like? And how do we manage it as a church? We thank you, Lord, for what you have brought us in terms of the diversity of people in the church, the various giftings that exist. But, Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would help us to be people who are not influenced by the culture in the way that we view others and treat others, but we would, in fact, see all people through your eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen.